morning. I'm glad you are having a wonderful conversation. Again, my name is Adobe Nduka. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Mill City Church, and my focus is community impact and operations. And once in a while, you know, I get uh, God's prompting. Um, I, I honestly are humble and I get to um, preach. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So um, the community question today was how do you uh, react when you have unexpected guests? And I want to pose another question, which is how do you respond when guests that you were expecting to come didn't show up? Chat? No text message? No calling to give you insight, no email, nothing, no voicemail. Mm. Let's pray while we think about it. <laughs> oh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are going to speak to us today. Lord, please help me to preach your word and help us to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so my assignment this morning is coming from two passages of Scripture. First one will be Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and Luke 2, 8 through 21. Um, so we're going to start with Matthew, but before I read, I want to give you a little background about Matthew. So the book, the book of Matthew was written to predominantly Jewish believers, and it focuses on the teachings of Jesus. And honestly, I watch, I don't know about y'all, I watch a lot of YouTube sermons, and I truly believe if the book of Matthew was a YouTube channel, it would be titled the teaching series of Jesus, because it just has a whole bunch of teachings of Jesus. And also, this writer wants to let the audience know that, hey, this Jesus that we're talking about is not just some ordinary um, uh, rabbi. He is the Messiah, and he's the son of David. And um, the writer also quoted the Old Testament or alluded to it more times than any other gospel. This is how much he was trying to prove to them who Jesus, uh, who Jesus was. And in, for, in the first chapter, he goes ahead and le uh, writes out the lineage of Jesus, starting with Abraham. And if you were not here last week, Rev. Steph did a wonderful job letting us know what all that entails. So if you're interested, you can go ahead and watch the sermon last week. I'm not going to go into it. But my assignment this morning will be from chapter 2. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read. If you don't have it, it will be on the screen. I have a new Bible, y'all, so I'm trying to break this thing in. I'm not used to having a new Bible. I'm like, ooh, we need to get you roughed up here. So, <laughs> so yeah, and he reads, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to uh, Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when he rose and had come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. They sent, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. 
As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and present him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, I want to talk about the, uh, the Magi. I find that very interesting. So in studying this, I found out that Magi were, was used widely to, uh, for magicians and astrologers. And astrology had been developed into a sophisticated science, especially in Babylon, in Babylonia. Even though no one knows exactly where the Magi came from, most people believe, most scholars believe that they came from Babylonia. Now, the question then becomes, what in this study got them thinking, searching, or even recognizing that a star that they're studying in was representing the king of the Jews, right? And one commentator suggests that it's probably due to a man in the Old Testament who lived in Babylonia. His name was Daniel. See, for those of you that are not familiar with Daniel, Daniel was an Old Testament um, prophet, if you will, who was taken captive with other Israelites um, when King Nebuchadnezzar came and besieged Jerusalem. And this is what he told, this is what he said when he wanted to grab all these captives. He says, I'm not going to read all of this, but it says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, I actually like how that sounds, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So basically, Daniel was either from a royal family or one of the nobles from Jerusalem. He was not no ordinary dude. So the people they were grabbing had to be from that lineage. And it's interesting to read and see how Daniel and some other folks or Israelites made a commitment in their heart to commit to God no matter what, living in Babylon. And it's interesting, if you have not read the book of Daniel, I suggest you do that, or you can go ahead, go back to June. We did a, uh, a whole series on the book of Daniel in June, this past June. We'd love for you to really dig into it. It's pretty, really good and interesting. When the Magi came, though, the interesting thing about them is they did not come because they want anything from Jesus. They did not come because he actually did anything for them. They simply came to worship him. I don't know if you've done this before, but I do want to ask, have you ever come to prayer asking God for nothing but to be in his presence? No request. No suffocation, no why, no crying, just simply want to be in his presence. If you haven't done that, 
I'll recommend it. And the more you do that, I promise you, you will see the relationship you have with God shift to another level. And it's an amazing feeling. Now, after Jesus was born in the stable, there, were, there was no room in the inn. And this is where Luke takes up. I'm going to read Luke 2, verses 8 through 21. And he reads, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and wrapped in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of angels, angelly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what, um, what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they have been told. Oh, it is amazing to me reading this story and just picking up at the end where it, where it says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. My God, the King of Kings was conceived. The Lord of Lords was conceived. John 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. This Word was conceived. The Word that was given in Genesis 3.15 was conceived. Mind-blowing. This God made himself into a baby. I don't know about you, but that is mind-blowing to me, that our God is that big and yet humble himself to come and be this small, to start as a seed in the womb to be conceived. Now for Luke, if Luke was the movie, it would be a documentary because man, homeboy gave us details. Do you understand me? goes all the way back to John the Baptist and his story. I just absolutely, absolutely love it. He, I mean, and also this gospel, the, the gospel of Luke is actually the longest book in the New Testament. Did you know that? Yeah. It's a lot. But it's good, though, because we, without it, we would not know a, a bunch of stuff that happened behind the scenes. And the amazing thing about the writer of Luke is 
he, the first, he, um, his focus was to show special concern for outcasts, victims of oppression, and for others who appear to be disadvantaged in society. The writer even carefully makes sure to know that Jesus had a number of women disciples. The, gene the genealogy that is in the um, Luke's gospel actually spans all the way to Adam. It didn't stop at Abraham, just to show that this God is the God of all, all from the beginning. And reading this, and also reading Matthew, I honestly was excited because it showed that God will reveal himself to whomsoever in whatever that they do on a day to day. So you have Magi who are Gentiles, well-educated, studying the stars, and God revealed himself in what they were studying every single day. You have the shepherds who are always in the field. You have angels showing up, letting know about the birth of Christ and tells them, hey, go to the manger, you will see him there. And they head to a stable that they see every day in their daily lives. And I can't help but to ask us this question, how does God reveal himself to you in your everyday life? If you're a teacher, how does he reveal himself to you as a teacher? Does he do it in what you study? Does he do it with your students? If you're stay-at-home parents, how is God revealing himself to you in your everyday living with your kiddos? It doesn't matter what it is that you're doing. Have you been paying attention to see how God reveal himself in what you do, because that's what he would do. He is a wonder in that. And also, reading this, man, I was like, Lord, you are God of all. You have the Magi, represent the Gentiles. You reveal yourself to them, they come and they worship you. That is amazing. Bringing gifts, by the way. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've seen all those nativity um, scenes where you have the shepherd and the magi, let me tell you, that is incorrect. They did not show up in the same time. The shepherds were the only ones in there at the stable. The magi didn't show up till Jesus was about between one or two, so it was later on. And they brought gifts. And I've seen nativity scenes where they show Three wise men, honestly, we don't know how many they are. So three could also be inaccurate. And also, they, you see them have this little gift of little chest of gold and a little chest of frankincense and a little chest somewhere. It's like, excuse you, if you're here to check out the King of Kings, <laughs> we're not going to be nothing little. I will assume that they had bags of this stuff, right? That's just my assumption. And I'm like, Lord, that is awesome that you're going to reveal yourself to Gentiles. And then reveal yourself to shepherds, everyday folk. They represent the Jews that go by the everyday life. And I mean, can you imagine being a shepherd in the field and wondering why are the angels out here telling us about the birth of Jesus? Like, what is happening? Who are we that we get the privilege to have angels tell us this, Right? And I thought, Lord, that is dope. And another thing I find interesting, I don't know about you, but I find this interesting. Herod 
who is the enemy, knew about the birth of Jesus. I was like, Lord, why would you let the enemy know? Why are we doing this? You know, first of all, Herod crazy. Why are you going to do this? Do you know what I found out about Herod? I found out that he's actually an Indomite. Now, for those of you that don't know who Edomites are, they are actually descendants of Esau, who's a twin brother of um, Jacob. So the descendants of Jacob are called Israelites. The descendants of Esau are called Edomites. And I'm like, Herod is a blood cousin, and the enemy is using him to try to kill Jesus? Man, ain't nothing worse. Nothing worse than having an enemy use someone close to you or a family member to get to you. Can I get an amen? That is the word. I think that is so dirty. I didn't even know that. I honestly thought that Herod was a Roman guy that just happened to be there leading. I did not know he was a cousin. So I found that all interesting. And for the first time, something popped out at me. There is a guest that I was expecting to be here that was not mentioned. And that's the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Where were they? Man, when I realized this, I started to cry because I thought, Lord, they have all the prophecies. They've been studying your law. They've been leading and teaching the people, waiting for the first coming of the Messiah. And you telling me, None of them showed up to worship you, to give you praise. That baffled me. And I just kept reading, and I'm like, Lord, something is not right. And as you, if you keep on reading at Luke 2, you notice that God kept coming and giving them signs over and over again. You will read later on, this is custom, when a baby is born, especially the firstborn son, after eight days, bring him to the temple to give a sacrifice and to consecrate that, first, that child to the Lord. Joseph and Mary brought Jesus when he was eight days old. And still, nobody, none of the chief priests, none of the teachers of the law, had a revelation that this is Jesus, except for two people. One of them, Simeon, a devoted man of God, and also a prophet named Anna. Two old, devoted people were the ones that saw him and started praising God right there in the temple. And even as they're here and they're praising God, Simeon is there prophesying, Still, nobody took note of that. And God still continued to come, hoping they would get a revelation that this is him. Jesus' parents, every year, they will go to Jerusalem, and they will participate in the feast of a Passover every year. And every year, they will bring Jesus. And still, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, still did not get a revelation that this is the Messiah that they're waiting for. And then at age 12, Jesus decided, you know what, I'm going to stay right on here. His parents go home, they looked around, they found out that Jesus is not with them, 
they go back. It takes them three days to find Jesus. And guess where they found him? At the temple court with the teachers, asking questions, listening. And all they were doing is marveling at his understanding and his answers. And still did not have the revelation that this is the Messiah. And I can't help but to think and ask us, all of us, what hint does God keep giving us over and over and over again to let us know this is he? That hint can look like a cycle. Every year something, same thing shows up every year or perhaps every quarter. Or perhaps he allows something to keep showing up so that you have to face it, so you have to deal with it, so you can see his glory in it. I'm not going to lie to you. For me, it took me three years. God keeps bringing something to me over and over again. I refused to deal with it because it was going to cause me hard, heavy, gut-wrenching emotional pain. And I hate emotional pain. Hate it. I did not want to face it. But literally, just last month, after three years, I had to sit with it because God intensified how often he brought the issue up. So I had no choice but to face it. And I had to learn how to sit in my pain with tears strewn down my face and just ask for help and just wait for him to do the healing that he needs to accomplish within me. Painful, did not want to do it, but yet grateful that I did. I do want to um, have us, as we are in the Advent season right now, and we are celebrating the first coming of Jesus, to be honest, that did not happen without all the folks in scripture who did their part so that the first coming of Jesus can happen. We have Daniel and his friends doing their part in Babylon. Who would have known that what Daniel was doing was gonna make an impact in Babylon? For our Magi's to see a star and go, oh, that gotta be, that gotta be the king of the Jews. You have Mary who did her part, even though, like Aaron said two weeks ago, she was unhinged by the greeting of the angel, she still leaned in and did her part. Joseph did his part, even though, like Rev. Steph said last week, even though his unexpected purpose came with unexpected pain and shame. Zachariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, they did their part, even though they had to wait in their old age to give birth to John the Baptist. Everybody had their part to play, but that part was not easy. Nobody is saying it's easy. Even Jesus, who we follow, who we call Lord and Savior, his path wasn't easy either. 
But the amazing thing about it is to do your part, you've got to partner with God. You absolutely cannot do it on your own. Because to, to be fair, if it was easy, you're not going to need God. You're not going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to walk around proud. <laughs> yeah, I did that. You know? But no, at the end of the day, it's for God's glory. It's for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's for people to know and to see that God is real, that he cares, that he's good, and that he's faithful. I do have two questions for us to ponder this morning. And here they are. First question is, as we wait for the second coming of Jesus, what part has God given you and I to play? How are we to live a life of worship that will prepare the way for the second coming of the Lord? I want to invite the worship team up. I want to invite you to please bow your hair, close your eyes. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What promptings and or nudges or thoughts that he's bringing up to you right now? Has God been pulling and leading you or has he said something to you about a call and you were hit with a spirit of fear? If so, I beg of you to please say yes to him because your part is needed in the community that you live in. Give God the fear so that he can give you power, love, and self-discipline. And for those of us that have accepted this call in excitement and now like Joseph, facing the reality that this call has come with unexpected pain and shame. I pray that the spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave that lives within us would give, give us grace, strength, boldness, endurance, companionship, love, joy, and peace in the journey. I pray that he develop in you the fruit of the Spirit so that when people see, hear, or read about your life, they have no choice but to praise God and give more the glory, honor, because they realize that God is so real, that he's so good, and that he's so faithful. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.